Hello, you Christmas revelers, and welcome to another episode of Two Hearts. My name is CJ. And I'm James, and this is the only podcast where when we went to outfitting at Shaz Allison, the one thing I forgot to say was give me pockets. That was a truly terrible, terrible Crethen Tate performance. And every week here on Two Hearts, we take a look at another episode from the Doctor Who revival. And this week, uh, on Christmas Day of all days, we are taking a look at the second ever Christmas special from the Russell T Davies era, The Runaway Bride. But as always, before we get into that, um, how are you doing on this this festive of, of weeks? Festive weeks indeed. Look, you know, I've had a bit of a... Um I run around the country of late. Um, so as you may or may not be aware, I live in Sydney and it's currently in the middle of a COVID-19 uh, outbreak. Nowhere near where I live and I haven't been in contact with anyone from that area and la 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 la. But uh, when it started to become apparent that it was not going away quickly, um, I had to organize a flight back home for Christmas super, super quickly I got in uh, just before there was uh, a border closure into South Australia, and um, which I'm very happy about. I am, but I've uh, been testing myself a bit uh, this week. Uh, well, I've had to go in and get some COVID tests um, to make sure that I'm 100% guaranteed no COVID. Um, which, you know, if you haven't had the test, it's not fun. It's not painful, but it's definitely like the one thing I was shocked about was how far into my head there is a hole. <laughs> um, and that's terrifying to think about. Um, in other words, I'm good and I'm at my parents' house. I'm recording at my parents' house today and I'm really pleased about that. And I'm in the same state as my dear co-host James, which is just peachy. Yeah, as CJ said, we are in the same state. Still not actually recording in the same room as each other because, I mean, I don't know about you folks, but I can't stand human contact. So, um... I love it. Are... Yeah, well, <laughs> that's the difference between us. Um, but yeah, look, it is it is Christmas week. Um, you know, festive times and yuletides and gays and stuff. So, um, that's the thing that's happening. Um, and we are very fortunate that our wildly sporadic recording patterns over the past few months have landed us with a bona fide Christmas special to talk about and release on Christmas Day. Yes, we almost very nearly didn't actually make this for Christmas. We were going to do the Chris Chibnall one. Uh, and then I was like, we can't pass up this opportunity to put a Christmas episode out on Christmas Day. But that's exactly right. Uh, timing has not always been kind to us here at Two Hearts and New Who podcast. Um, but fortunately, yeah, it, it's all worked out for the best uh, right at the very end of a a very trying year. Uh, before we dive into The Runaway Bride, uh, we do have a little bit of Doctor Who news to talk about, as is tradition. Um, there is a, a new promo for uh, Revolution of the Daleks, um, which... Uh, how would you best explain this, CJ? It's like a car ad. It is. It is like a car ad. It's gone up on their YouTube page. Um, it is a, like a sleek schmick little presenting the newest age of earth defense technology. We present to you the drones or whatever. And it's just a Dalek, but like, it's the new fancy Dalek that's got like the neon blue lights and everything. Um, and it is honestly a, quite an effective little bit of like, um, I guess, copaganda. Yeah, that's definitely what it is. Did you say copaganda? I did. <laughs> I just was going to skate right over that. Um, it is definitely a really well-produced piece of propaganda. Uh, and I, I enjoyed seeing it just because, like, in-universe gags and um, things of that nature have been sort of um, not... They've been very light this time around with Chris Chibnall's era. And you would have gotten a lot of this kind of content during Moffat and Russell T, but not so much now. And so I'm, 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 I'm pleased to see, I just pleased to see something, you know, that's a bit fun or a bit, um, self-referential, um, when it comes to the show and, uh, yeah. And yeah. 
I, I agree with that. Um, they also did like a takeover of the official BBC account on Twitter that was like, you know, all oh, the Daleks have taken over this account, um, which to be fair, running parallel with the ads on YouTube that are just like, oh, these aren't Daleks, they're just defense drones is actually a little bit confusing when you think about it. But we were not supposed to think about it. Um, the better part is that in response to a voice tweet that the BBC account put out that was, you know, a Dalek talking about taking over the account, um, you had a whole bunch of uh, just fantastic teenagers in the replies been like, mm, yes, daddy, take over the account and <laughs> slay queen. I, I fucking love it. I, I adore the way that these kids are taking Doctor Who and are just running with it. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah, that is... Um that's proper, proper queer. <laughs> proper queer, proper queer. Uh, but I think that is about it for well, Doctor Who News this week. Th- there is one other story. It's not a, a good story necessarily, but it's one that I've uh, really enjoyed seeing. Is um, Chris Rackleson's returned to record some new um, uh, audio dramas as the Ninth Doctor. Um, but when he was asked if he'll return to television playing the Ninth Doctor, he said, I'll come back when hell freezes over. (laughs) Which totally in keeps with everything we already knew about him and his feelings about the show, but it was just... That was just like a little, like, cherry on the cake. Yeah, he he clearly has some thoughts and or feelings. Um, There was that quote, like, you sent this to me, but, like, I think he said something along the lines of, you know, when you're playing the Doctor, you're not really playing the Doctor, you're playing, you know, Russell T Davies' Doctor or Moffat's Doctor, or, like, you're playing the writer. Yeah. And I'm kind of like... You are an actor, Chris. Like, you you act in a role that is written. Um, so I, I appreciate the sentiment that he's going for, and I like the concept of sort of, like, making the role your own. But I think with Doctor Who especially, it has always been a very collaborative role between the, uh, like, natural... Um, abilities of the actor in the role and the proclivities of the showrunner at the time. And finding a balance between those two things is how you get, like, a really iconic Doctor. Um, and so, I, yeah, I just, I find that quote a little bit odd. Yeah. Um, I like it. I like that he's sort of identified that each writer brings their own selves into it. And um, I think you, you and I, well, I mean, it doesn't take a, a genius necessarily to look at all the different doctors that are presented by each writer and, and realize that as much as people like to think that they're all the same, like everyone approaches it from the same perspective, they really don't. They bring their unconscious biases and experiences to it. Um, but yeah, maybe it, it didn't need to be said. <laughs> I don't know. It was, <laughs> it, it, it was just a funny little footnote in the interview he gave. Um, but that's not what we're here to discuss. We are here to discuss The Runaway Bride, the debut episode of One Miss Catherine Tate, and um, the first episode without Rose. So, should we get into it? I think we absolutely should. Uh, let's take a look at The Runaway Bride. What? Who are you? What? I shall descend upon this earth and die! You shouldn't even exist. Prepare your best medicine, Doctor Man. Who is that man? I'm the Doctor. Clever, clever boy. Am I safe? I'm not about to lose someone else. Trust me. It's Christmas. Oh, they will suffer. So suffer. This planet shall be scored. Okay, <clears throat> Runaway Bride was the 2006 Christmas special airing on, believe it or not, the 25th of December 2006. Uh, directed by Euros Lin, stalwart uh, director of the show at this point, and written by Russell T. Uh, it has David Tennant as the Doctor, Catherine Tate as Donna Noble, and Sarah Parrish as the terrifying Empress of the Ragnos. Um... I'm going to listen back to these one day and realize that I'm a nerd. Um, so IMDb's just dis- one day, one <laughs> many years in the future. Um, IMDb's description for the episode is the doctor is baffled when a young woman is transported to the TARDIS on her wedding day and attempts to find out how she is connected to an alien plot to destroy earth. Uh, it, fair enough. Look, you know, not reaching sure. for any particular heights there. Um, 
alien it's plot Christmas. to destroy. You know, everyone's checked out by this point. Well, exactly, and that's and actually, like, if we want to talk about Christmas specials in general, that's one of the things Russ, um, no, I think it was Stephen Moffat noted was that you have to write for, you have to write for the back of the room, knowing that everyone is like pissed or like hungover or uh, you know, mm-hmm. in a food coma. Nobody is really too engaged on Christmas Day, and so it's it's pure entertainment. It these episodes are not. Uh, I guess I, the only way I can sort of describe it from a, like a critical viewing point is to like let your expectations drop uh, because then you'll be delightfully surprised as opposed to expecting heights and then having them dashed. Um, but I will attempt at doing a little synopsis um, complete with voices because that's the kind of guy I am. Um, okay, so... Having just left Rose on Bad Wolf Bay, tears streaming down his face, the doctor turns around and finds a, a woman in the TARDIS wearing a wedding dress, and they both go, what, what, what? And it's very, very funny. Believe me. Um, so the doctor discovers that this woman is named Donna Noble, and she doesn't know how she's gotten to the TARDIS on her wedding day, but she demands that he take her back to Earth. So they fly back to Earth, and they like there's a madcap adventure of them trying to get her, him trying to get her to the wedding, I should say. And then eventually, Donna gets into a cab. But the cab is being driven by a pilot fish, you remember, from last year. So the doctor screams, Donna! And she's like, Oi, spaceman, I'll show you in court, you! Um, and then she gets in the cab. And there's a, another madcap chase as the doctor chases down the cab in his TARDIS. Uh, Donna is like, Your friend, did she trust you? And he's like, Oh, yes, she trusted me. She trusted me with her whole life. And then she jumps into the TARDIS and everyone cheers. Um, the doctor takes Donna back to her wedding party after having put a bio damper on her so the pilot fish can't find her because they don't know why she's being tracked or how she got into the TARDIS. But when they get to the party, they find everyone's having a good time without her. Donna's suitably unimpressed, but she finds a way to make the best of the moment. The doctor discovers that Donna was taken away by Huon particles from the video recording of the wedding, but he also discovers that the bio damper doesn't hide anyone from um, Huon particles, so the pilot fish have found them. The pilot fish blow up the party, it's very distressing, and the doctor, Donna, and her fiance, Lance, all get in her car, I think, or somehow, and they go to Donna's place of work where they find that. Uh, her place of work make keys and it's the secret base for a torchwood operation to extract human particles from the water in River Thames this is I don't know how any of this works um, and then a mysterious voice comes on the tannon and a woman who seemingly can't talk or she's got a plate in her mouth or something like that uh, she's like who are you with such command and it turns out she's the empress of the Ragnos and she beams down and even though she's a fucking massive like red spider she can't seem to move from this little plinth that she's been put on so you know whatever um, turns out that the empress of the Ragnos has been seeding uh, Donna with human particles to open up uh, the ship uh, her old ship with uh, all the, the race descendants of the Ragnos, which is buried at the heart of the Earth. Not just buried, I should add, but is the centre of the Earth and the critical mass that pulled in all the other bits and pieces to form the Earth all the way back millennia ago. Um, it also turns out that Lance has been on it this whole time and he only uh, was going to marry Donna to do this little thing. Uh, so that's fun. And so the Ragnos get Donna um, and the Doctor has to find a way to, to solve the day. Before he can, though, Lance dies. He falls down to the centre of the Earth and he awakens the secret heart. Um, but the Doctor has a plan. He uses the baubles from the attack on the Christmas party to uh, blow up the Thames barrier and flood the base, thereby drowning the Ragnos children before they can get up to the top of the uh, tunnel. Donna says, you can stop now, as if you were able to turn off the taps. Uh, they run out of the base and a tank destroys the Ragnos ship with the Ragnos Empress inside. Doctor takes Donna home and she's like, oh yeah, I guess I'll walk in the dust now. And he's like, yep, yeah, alright. And she's like, come for Christmas dinner. He's like, nah. And then... Uh, Donna's like, I think you need a friend, you know, because you keep fucking things up when you're on your own. And he's like, oh, maybe, you know, see here. And then she's like, what about that woman you used to go around with? And he says, her name was Rose. And then he gets in the TARDIS and it's a happy ending all around. What do you think of that, James? That was somehow longer than me explaining the two-parter finale from last season. I don't know how you managed it, but here we are. <laughs> I think it's because I was, <laughs> I kept trying to think. Stopping every plot beat to be like, oh, and then this happened. <laughs> Uh, turns out I'm not very good at voices on the go. I can. Turns out you're not very good at plot descriptions on the go either, apparently. But here we are. Yes, look, it was pretty uh, long, but you know we're dealing with a lot here in the One Away Bride, and I think you and I both um, didn't have like particularly high expectations when it came to this episode, but have come away with a lot of things to discuss. So I guess we'll start with impressions. What do you think of? The Runaway Bride, because it doesn't have the best uh, sort of fan reception out there um, currently. Yeah, I mean, like, if you go, like, I I said this last week as well, but, um, you know, when we first were watching sort of this this run of the show um, and I got up to The Runaway Bride, I watched it and I was like, oh, I thought that was a bit shit. I didn't really like it all that much. Um, And then I've gone back and rewatched it twice now and both times I'm just like, no, I was was just straight up wrong. I I think it's a really solid bit of Doctor Who. Um, I think it definitely suffers from um, some of the writing uh, is is not 
it's not bad character writing, so it's definitely a change of pace, um, but it is like bad plot writing. It's just there's a lot of filler, um, and I think some of the action is a bit too frenetic for its own good. Uh, but outside of those moments, I think you get like a really good introduction to Donna. Um, you get some fun stuff with the, uh, I guess, like the overarching monster of the week, um, and you get some really good stuff with David Tennant uh, as the Doctor here. So, I don't know. I I kind of I think it slaps. What about you? Yeah, I've um I've always loved this episode. I think it's because I have very 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 fond memories because this this episode went out at like the height of my well not the height but like when I was first becoming like an Uber fan of the show. And so I distinctly remember the long wait between the series 2 and this episode which didn't go out until I think mid 2007 because we didn't get anything at the same time as the UK at that time. Um, and uh, yeah, I just remember distinctly loving this episode and it still holds up for me to this day when I watch it at this very specific seasonal time, but I wouldn't ever choose or indulge in it at any other time because, uh, like there are definite, there are definite, definite issues. I think the biggest issue, like you've noted for me, is that the plot is just fairly bonkers and doesn't really benefit from being set at Christmas at all. Um, I think it's telling that this is a this was originally conceived as a mid-season episode for season two, and it was going to have the Doctor and Rose trying to get this mysterious bride to her wedding day. Um, and to be fair, there is elements of it that, naturally gravitate towards the the Christmas slot. The easy kind of Spencer Tracy, Catherine Hepburn, screwball-y vibe between Catherine Tate and David Tennant definitely makes it a worthwhile Christmas endeavour. Um, but the plot, at its worst, it's just repeating elements from the Christmas invasion, which, is, which shows to me like a mm. certain lack of imagination. Um, but at its best, it's... It's just a bit of fun, lighthearted Doctor Who. Yeah. I don't know. I I, I feel very uh, in two minds about the whole thing because I can can adamantly see that it's not good (laughs) necessarily, but I still enjoy it. I mean, not not for us to switch roles here, um, but I I would push back on that because I do think it's I do think it's a good episode. Uh, I think it's a bad Christmas special, um, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, because the Christmas stuff, as you've said, it's so segregated from the rest of the plot. There's nothing linking uh, these things together. Um, and I mean, I guess if I look back on. Um, uh, what is it? Uh, Christmas Invasion. You've kind of got the same issues there as well, but at least that one was a bit more like firmly planted in the time of Christmas. Uh, whereas this one is like, it's a wedding episode, then it's a Christmas episode mm. and then it's an alien episode. Um, like it just, it, it swings around so much and like even the Christmas party isn't a Christmas party. It's a wedding reception. Um, and so I don't know the, the, the Christmas elements. And it also doesn't help. Like you've said that they are just a repeat of, uh, the pilot fish again. So you've got those Santas that have come back. You've got the flying ball balls that blow things up. It's just kind of like, uh, it's all just a bit, it's all a bit played out to me. And I remember the first yeah. time I watched it, um, I said to you, you know, when, uh, there's a sequence where the doctor, um, uh, the doctor and Donna get, um, they're like looking for a cab in the middle of London, basically. Um, and while they're frantically looking around, he notices a Christmas band with like the plastic masks from the first Christmas special. And I was like, Oh, this is like a really cute way of being all like, Hey, remember these, but this time it's actually just going to be a band. And he's just now paranoid about Santa's, but then no, it, it's just <sighs> the same plot beat again. <laughs> yeah. And like, I, I think you're right to say that the uh, Christmas Invasion also wasn't, you know, it, um, as well situated in Christmas as a special could be. I mean, that episode was basically just gimmicking, what if there was an invasion? But it was at Christmas time. Um, yeah. Which this isn't even really doing, but it's still repeating those same beats because, like, you have all the elements that you mentioned, plus there's uh, an arbitrary uh, Christmas destruction scene with the star shooting lightning at people um i forgot about that yeah exactly and so you can i for me at least i can distinctly see two different elements of this episode which is 
the obligatory Christmas stuff and the actual story. And they don't, they don't gel necessarily at all. And it's a big, it's a telling sort of moment when the doctor says, you know, he's looking around and it's like sunshine and he's like, oh, is it Christmas? And he, she's like, yeah, yeah, I'm having my Christmas. I'm having my wedding day on Christmas Eve because I hate Christmas. And it's like, what the fuck? Mm. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's just not, you know, it's not folded in. Let's say it, it doesn't, it's not organic. Uh, it doesn't flow. I don't dislike what's here. Uh, it's just, yeah, it, it's part of the problem with the writing, which is just that it's, um, it's, it's very stop start in the way it handles every element of this story because, you know, you've got the wedding stuff, you've got the Christmas stuff that we were just talking about. On top of that, you've got that like screwball comedy dynamic that you get with Catherine Tate because she's such an organically funny actress. Um, but then you also pair that with the like super dark uh, queen of the Ragnos stuff. Um, it's it it bounces all over the map, uh, not in a particularly well done way. Uh, but I can't help but at the end of it be like, hmm, that was a that was a good episode of Doctor Who. I yeah, I know what you mean because when you get to the end of it, it is a bit like, hmm, I'm full kind of thing in a very satisfied way. <laughs> Yes. And that's the problem with a lot of... Uh, okay, so uh, a little behind the scenes for you again, folks. We know how much you, you love that stuff. Um, I have now watched all of Russell T Davies's run with the show. Over the past couple of weeks, I just got like weirdly obsessive with catching all the way up so I could have like full contact for him as a writer. Um, and... I mean, there's, there's so much to love. There's so much good stuff coming that we've got to look forward to. Uh, but something that I have noticed, and it gets worse and worse as he goes on, um, the way that Davies writes specials is just, like, they're just noisy. They're really, really big, loud episodes. Um, and he often buries a nugget of something really dark in there as well. And I just... I don't think any of it's remotely successful, um, but there are at least interesting ideas at play. Yeah, I don't think we could ever say that um, these episodes are short of ideas necessarily. And I think the stuff yeah. with Donna and the Rachnos in particular are very interesting for what they suggest uh, in-universe in the show. Um I think my main just sort of criticism is that this episode does not do enough to sort of step out of the shadow of the previous Christmas special and justify its existence necessarily. Yeah, I agree with that. It, it functions much better as a introduction to Donna than a Christmas special. Wait, absolutely. And like, let's talk about Donna because, uh, you know, this is Catherine Tate before she was proper Donna Noble for a lot of people. And, you know, she's doing what she's required to do in this episode, which is to be OTT, bolshy, <laughs> uh, Londoner kind of woman. And, you know, she hits that on the head. But in the subtler moments between her and David Tennant, like the scene on the rooftop, the scene where they watch the creation of the Earth, you can immediately see the the chemistry between the two of them and the, like, equality, I would say, of both mm. of them as actors, but as characters too. What do you think? Yeah, I, I agree. Um, it's an interesting contrast to Billy Piper. Um, and, I mean, Freema Adjaman, I, I think, holds her own a bit better against David Tennant. I think she has more of a um, uh, command over her her uh, sort of screen presence with him. Um, whereas Billy Piper, because of her youth at the time of filming and whatnot, and I mean, like we've said many times on the show, she's a phenomenal actress, um, but she is quite young not even in years compared to David Tennant but just in gravitas um and so she kind of gets consumed by him at certain points whereas Catherine Tate like she fills up the entire screen she is everything when she's in frame um and having her go toe-to-toe -to -toe with a an actor like Tennant who does the exact same thing um they do very organically balance each other out. Like it could have just been more noise, but instead it, it just, it sinks up and becomes this like really perfect pairing in a way that um, I certainly didn't remember, like, you know, 
looking back on when I was watching the show as a teenager, um, I just remember Donna being like, oh, she was just kind of loud. Um, mm. And it's like, yeah, she is loud, but that's not a problem. It, it's part of the, the charm and it's part of what makes her such a perfect companion for David Tennant's Doctor. I completely agree. They really play up, I think, the... what You have to think about, like, Donna's function in this story was not meant to be that of an ongoing character. She was meant to... Um, she was meant to, in, in a lot of ways, I think, compare and uh, violently contrast with Rose. And, you know, where Rose was... <sighs> Annoyingly, the term that comes to the top of my head is submissive, but that's not what I mean in, at, at all. Just... I think you're absolutely correct in your assertion that, like, Donna, uh, Catherine Tate takes up the screen because she's a natural performer and because she's a natural lead performer as well. She has her own television show mm-hmm. at this point and she's a stand-up comedian. Whereas, um, you know, Billy Piper came from the music industry uh, and, you know, in Doctor Who was, even though noted first companion and uh, in a lot of people's eyes the the main character, she did take a back seat a lot of the time to the natural frontmanship and charisma of the doctors that she was playing alongside. Um, And it's just, uh, yeah, I think the one thing I just find about the the, uh, Catherine Tate in this episode is just how refreshing she is in comparison to that, but not, not as a, um, Oh, I'm so glad we have this kind of person now. It's not like that at all. It's um, no, it's not an indictment of Billy Piper. It's just a contrast. Um, yeah. So that's that's not a problem as such. The only problem I think I have with Donna in this episode is that she's treated like a joke far too many times, and that's not something you want when you're trying to establish a doctor who needs to a move on, uh, and by that same token, find somebody to to be friends with again and when you're when you're when your best offering is you're also making them out to be an idiot um that's not a a totally nuanced reading of her character but it is uh, an unfortunate sort of side part to her yeah, and I mean, like, it, it is definitely there. Um, what I find most confusing about Donna's characterization through this episode and obviously with with Series 4, which is her full season, um, this crops up less, but it is still very much a part of it, is that, like, she is, like, the way that he writes her is very organically leaning towards, I mean, yes, a very loud, very brazen, uh, very, you know, quote-unquote common woman, which aren't inherently problems. Um, but he always makes sure to pair her with, like, like those quiet moments that we were talking about, like them watching the formation of Earth with the Ragnos Queen uh, egg thing at, at the core of it, or they have a really great moment where they're sitting on top of a building together and just kind of looking out over London, and they just have a very frank conversation about life and sort of what's got them to this point and whatnot. Um, and Donna in those moments is, she's quick, she's assertive, uh, she's empathetic. There's such humanity and such subtle goodness to her um and so it's confusing when because Catherine Tate is such a good comedic actor I feel like uh Davies and the other team that goes on to write Donna um they kind of assume that there always needs to be like a goof or a loud moment going on with Donna um when that really isn't the case because I think Catherine Tate's um dramatic weight in the role is actually better than her comedic stuff uh totally I I um I agree. I think that there are necess- there's a necessary balance in her performance, though, between the bolshy, loud, uh, jokey stuff and the quieter moments. Mm. Because you would never... I think, like, you know, the mark of a good performer is if is their range, right? And yeah, yeah. Catherine Tate has range up the wazoo. Um, oh, she does. She does. I just, you know, you were just saying about how, like, you know, the the show can sometimes treat her as more of a joke than is required. Mm. Uh, and there's occasionally this, like, it's. I, I don't think it's intentional, but it does come. It, it does play as slightly mean spirited, um, sort of jabs at her as a character, which 
in in retrospect of seeing her entire arc now, I think actually helps a lot of what is to come because she needs to come from a place that is, you know, not quite bottom of the barrel uh, in the sense that, you know, she's not doing particularly well in life, but like bottom of the barrel of a uh, like existential sense, you know, like Donna doesn't have very much when she's this Donna. Um, And so you need a a low point to start from to get her to the highs that she will ascend to. Um, I think it's just, I put this in my show notes, but it's little things like, um, you know, oh, six months is a bit quick to get married, isn't it? And then she's like, oh, well, he insisted. And then he cut away to her being like, oh, please, please marry me. And like begging for a man to have any interest in her in Mm. that sense. When in the exact same story, you've got that character that is all like, oh, I'm hesitant to marry you, poisoning her and actively trying to lie to her to keep her close. And so it's like, well, it just makes sense that he would be the one begging to marry her. But like, you can't help but have those jabs at her. And so... It just gets very muddled. It, yeah, it does. And um, I like what you're saying about um, that they needed to bring Donna to this very low point to then bring her back when... Um, not mm. Again, not that they knew they were doing that in this episode, um, but it does definitely work for season four. The, the scene that I really, really, really like, even though it capitalises on all these jokey digs uh, at Donna's expense... Um, that we've been noting is the scene where Lance reveals that he has been working with Arachnos against to see Donna with these human particles. And I like it because like it doubles down on the, the jokes that we've had before, but it's harder and crueler, uh, towards her. And I think I love it because I imagine like Donna has put up with this kind of what well, we know that she's been, she's put up with this being belittled, belittled, uh, she's being belittled and smallened her whole life and it hasn't made her a small person and it hasn't made her hollow or shallow. She's just been forced into this box of somebody who isn't expected to amount to much of anything. Um, but that's not who she is. Um, and so, you know, when Lance, like who's perhaps like the only person besides her, like uh, maybe her dad or like a grandpa. Um, again, this is season four we're reading into and not what's in this episode. Um, that she's felt probably comfortable enough. She's probably, Lance is probably the first person that she's felt comfortable enough to confide in. And then he throws all the things that she probably criticizes herself about back in her face. I, I just think it's one of the most cruelest things to endure, but such a well-written scene and really well acted by Catherine Tate. Yeah. Yeah. I, I completely agree with that. Like, um, you know, not every horrible thing that a character goes through needs to be like critiqued in the sense of like, mm, but should they have done this? You know, like sometimes a horrible thing boosts your story or it fits mm. within the narrative or whatever. And so there is a lot of stuff there with um, with Donna and the way people treat her that, like I said, yeah, it, it does form the foundation for something interesting to come. Uh, I don't know. There's, there's some ways that um, the show treats her that, occasionally echoes the way that it treated um Jackie um Mm. and I think it's that um there's an easiness and I'm not saying this is correct uh I'm just saying I think this is maybe the mentality that was that had gone into a lot of this time of the show but like there is a um uh almost like an assumed goof on uh older women fat people uh there's just some stuff there that like the show leans into some really tropey, shitty jokes for an easy laugh. Um, and I, I just, yeah, it's, it's worth pointing out. I think it's better here with Donna in, in almost every case. Um, but it is just, it's one of those things that like, uh, both CJ and I can't help, but kind of like just pick out a little bit when, when you're talking about Donna and her introduction to the show. Yeah. There is, uh, an unfortunate amount of Jackie DNA in, in, um, in Donna, and but one of the more interesting assertions, uh, sorry, uh, in uh, in what's the word I want? One of the more interesting interpretations of Donna's character that I've seen online is that she is a, a halfway point between Rose and Jackie, and is in some ways like a sub in for that for Rose in this episode, and um, allows the Doctor to sort of grieve. The absence of Rose and her being trapped in a parallel world without... And saying the things that Rose never could. And so, perhaps consciously, unconsciously, I don't know, some of that DNA did get inserted into Donna. Um, 
Mm. Again, because she was never meant to be an ongoing character in her own right. She was only supposed to exist in this one episode as a means to get from one companion to another. Um, yeah. I do think Which, the... Sorry. Uh, I, I do think the best parts of this episode are when it observes, like, the fundamental difference between, like, Doctor and Companion. Um, you Yes, I just wanted to like while while we're mentioning Rose, um, there, there's like a, a point that I wanted to maybe uh, sort of touch on a little bit here mm. uh, because she's not hyper relevant to this episode, but she is like something that's looming over it in some ways, uh, and so I wanted to bring it up while we while we had the opportunity to. Uh, what I find interesting is that the way this special treats Rose's absence um, and the way it kind of like peppers these things about Rose throughout the episode. So, you know, when Donna first gets pulled onto the TARDIS, um, she's just slowly starting to trust the doctor. And then she sees one of Rose's old shirts, like hanging off of a a, a banister. And she's like, Oh, you know, how many other women have you done this to? And so you get like a Rose moment there Um, later on when the doctor is saving Donna during a, a car chase sequence. Um, you know, he's like, you got to jump. Uh, you, you have to trust me. And she's like, you know, did you tell uh, the other one to trust you? Did she end up trusting you? Blah, blah, blah. Um, there's a, a sequence where he's listening to some music and he watches some people dancing. And the way that they're dancing with a blonde haired woman reminds him of Rosie. Get a little flashback to that. And there's so much good Rose nostalgia and Rose sadness sort of like put in through this episode. And as, as you know, CJ was just saying, Donna operates as a connective tissue companion for this special to get him from, from Rose through the heartbreak of Rose and then on to um, Martha next season. The problem is that, and you know, now having watched Martha's entire season, um, her whole season is just like a sledgehammer of Rose. Um, and I find it confusing that if Donna was never meant to come back um, and she was written as a connective tissue and a jumping point companion, then the lessons that the Doctor learns during his time within this episode with Donna are just kind of immediately abandoned in favour of doing a, you know, rebound girlfriend kind of uh, vibe for Series 3. And I just find that really disappointing. It is disappointing because... You're right, it is disappointing because, like, uh, this should have been an episode of Donna giving him permission to to grieve but move on. Whereas it, it it gave him instead permission to constantly bring her up. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Which is a legitimate, like, symptom of grieving, which is that you can't, you get trapped in the past and you can't get yourself out of that cycle. This is a season three discussion, really, is what we're having at the moment. Um, but mm. that's not what I think ends up happening with Rose. But I think you're right. I think her the way that they treat the massive absence of Billy Piper in this episode is uh, just about as perfect as it could have been. <laughs> Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, like, you, you all know that I have complicated feelings on Rose, um, but for some reason, anytime they relate Rose to Donna's stories, and this is true of series four as well, um, it just, it really, it really, really works. Uh, like, he's finally pulled back enough on um, his excesses as a writer to, to make those moments land. Um, but look, that's, uh, that is a while away in terms of our chronological discussion of the show. Um so, is, is there anything more that you want to talk about with Donna before we well, kind of have a chat about what David Tennant is doing in the role here? There is. I, I And maybe this will be a nice bridge point to David Tennant. But, like, there is something I do just want to talk about in terms of, like, this episode, more than I think uh, Rose ever did, this episode really starts the discussion of the fundamental difference and complementary nature of the Doctor and Companion relationship. Um you know, and I think far less than Rose because she was, when we first find her, she was 100% fully committed to, like, opening her eyes up and leaving Earth behind. Um, and so you never really got... It, she was a human in every sense of the word, but she was extremely ready to leave all of that behind, including the humanity uh, as part of that role. Donna, I think, because she is so emphasised by her attention to the littleness of life and the idiosyncrasies and um, the little things that we do, um, she 
is a, does a much better job of reminding the Doctor of the individuals he's committed to saving and the and the inherent humanity and compassion of the companion role. Um, I think this episode... I, if I wanted to go out on a limb and discuss the themes of this episode, I would advocate for the... like humans the tendency to like mark things out with Christmas and calendars, which is a quote from the episode. And, um, and one of the best things I think this episode does is like I said before, is, uh, just sort of emphasize the difference of perspectives in the doctor and companion, whereas the doctor is, is given to like delighting in, in humans and their, the things that they do. He sees it all in such a big picture. Um, and this is something he criticizes Donna for, you know, always missing the big picture. But what he doesn't realize and what this episode, I think, points out is that she is observing life on a day-to-day basis in such a way that gives what he's seeing meaning. I don't know. There's something there that really, that I really, really like. And I think this is the first time that we're properly seeing the show engage with that. And it also helps because David Tennant, uh, sorry, Catherine Tate his character is written in such a way as to completely contrast the Doctor, whereas Rose was always a Doctor sub-in in some ways. She was... Rose was complimentary, whereas Donna is contrasting. That's it. Um, yeah, which, uh, yeah, I completely agree with. Um, the scene that comes to mind is uh, after the, uh, like, the Christmas ball balls attack scene, um, you know, the, the the wedding party is in complete chaos and disarray. There's a bunch of people, like, hurt on the ground. And um, Donna is, like, because she's, you know, still getting to know everything at this point, she's like, you know, didn't you say you were a doctor? These people need help. And he's just like, no, no, no you're missing the big picture. And he just kind of, like, runs off to pursue the plot. Um and it is, it's the first indication of what becomes a staple in Donna's time on the show, um, especially in the first few episodes of her series. But like, like you said, this idea that she experiences life on a, on the, in the minutia and he goes with like the, the sort of the broad strokes and whatnot, which is why together they form such a perfect uh, companion team um, because they completely uh sort of work to um like we said contrast and and fit in with each other's um the things that the the one can't see the other helps the other one see That's and it. so it, it just works out really really nicely for the two of them um which um you know i you know what? i won't talk about donna's ending i will not do it uh the, <laughs> it's it's too far away and it, it's too big of a topic um but yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I think that stuff is is really good. I also, while we're just wrapping up with uh, Donna and, and Catherine Tate, there's a um, a moment when... Uh, there's two TARDIS moments in particular that stand out for me with her in this episode. When she first gets beamed aboard and she tries to leave through the doors. And, you know, that's when she sees the galaxy for the first time. So good. Um, or the, the nebula, rather. Um, first of all, love that her walk down the aisle ends up with her standing in front of a nebula. Like, I think as a... As a metaphor for the thing that she's about to commit her life to and the thing that is going to bring her fulfillment, the idea that, like, it's not a man at the end of the aisle, it's not even the doctor at the end of the aisle, it's the infinite unknown. Uh, I love that. I absolutely adore that, which makes her ending even sadder. But, again, we're not talking about that. Um, What I do like about that moment, though, she's standing there, she's got the doors open, um, and she takes it all in and in like a split second, she's like, how am I breathing? And that, that one line there to me is like, this is such a turned on character. You know what I mean? It's not about like the, the awe and the wonder of the moment as such, even though that's all playing out on her face because Catherine Tate is such a good actress, but Donna's first thought is a practical one. It's about that small scale stuff again of like the, the minutiae of how this is happening as opposed to the grandeur of it all, you know? Uh, yes, I do. Um, yeah, I honestly couldn't put it better myself. <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. I'll, I'll, I'll quickly wrap up, wrap up my uh, my second Donna point with the TARDIS, and then we can move on from her. But um, when they just... land back in London and she leaves the TARDIS and she walks out into, you know, just Earth again, and that's when she has that whole bigger on the inside moment. But because she got beamed in there, it happens in reverse for her. And with every other companion, the Doctor holds their hand through that moment. Yeah. And with her, we get to see this like unfiltered. What would you do if you stumbled upon that information yourself? And she has like 
a, a a very organic kind of like horrified reaction to what she's just discovered. It's not, it's not wonder. It's not the beginning of an adventure. It's more of a like, what the fuck is this? And why are you not explaining this to me? I, I, just, I don't know. I think there's something really interesting there in the way that um, a lot of Donna's first experiences in the TARDIS are through her own lens, as opposed to the way the doctor usually frames things for a companion. Yeah, definitely. It, that's a really interesting uh, reading of it. And I also love what you're saying about um, Donna's journey on the, down the aisle ending in the nebula. I think that, uh, I think that's like giving a lot of uh, praise where it is undue because I don't think that was intentional in any capacity. Um, Hey, look, it doesn't have to be. Sometimes, like, you... if you, Sometimes you meet a show halfway. Uh, and I think that what I do like about Russell T. Davies' writing is that he does occasionally, unintentionally make these magical things. Um, and so I'm, I'm more... I, I mean, look, as a Star Wars fan, uh, I do this a lot. And so I'm, I'm more than willing to do it for Doctor Who as well. Please, no, do. Um, look, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think... Uh, if we want to pivot to David Tennant, um, mm. the best thing we could say about him is that being paired with someone as big, he gets a chance to play a much more subtler, darker Doctor than he did previously. And mm. I really like him in this episode. Yeah, I, I think this is the first time that we are seeing what would go on to actually define his time as the Doctor. Uh, because Series 2... I mean, look, you, you just heard us talk about Series 2. We have a lot of issues with David Tennant in that that run. Uh, we do think there are obviously good moments, but I don't think he snaps into focus until right now. Um, and what does come into focus is a very detached, very... Um, um, I, I don't, I don't really know the way to put it because like with Christopher Eccleston, you could see like, you know, he had that like rage behind his eyes and everything. Um, with David Tennant, I don't think it's rage behind the eyes. I think he's just slightly unhinged at times. Um, and that, that certainly comes full circle towards the very end of his run. Um, but I think, you know, because of the natural charisma of the role uh, of the actor and the popularity of the role, they didn't really do a huge amount with it until sort of towards the very end or Mm. in these little, like very specific moments. Um, but there is a lot of stuff with him in this episode that is, um, very, very good. And me sort of coming to terms with and finally seeing, I think the iconic elements of him, even though I'm not entirely convinced people like him for the reasons that they should. I know that's such a shitty thing to say, um, but I think taking his arc as a whole, the stuff that I loved about it is not the stuff that people talk about with David Tennant. Yeah. Um, I mean, I can only offer my own perspective on this and I got to tell you for a budding young little queer seeing uh, handsome, sexy David Tennant uh, in my favourite show every week was definitely a big plus. Um, I'm not saying that he was just his looks, but it was a big part of it. And I think a lot of people would openly admit to that as well. Um, not a, a majority, but a, a lot. Um, the one thing I do like, and I th- you touched on this bit just now, uh, that I like about David Tennant in this episode and the Doctor he plays, is that like we've never seen... We've never seen the Doctor at this point without Rose. And we've never seen him, I guess, in the... We've never seen the version of him who who was, you know, completely shattered by... Uh, well, no, I'll, I'll take that back. We've never seen the version of him that is as close as possible to being what he was like during the Time War. Um, And we know mm. who he was then. He was vengeful. He was... Uh, revenge-filled, uh, he took no chances. He was going to kill that Dalek in cold blood and unless Rose stopped him. Um, and I'm harking back to Dalek when I say that. Um, and I, th- I think, yeah, like that's one of the things that I really uh, fuck with with this episode is that we see a Doctor who has been fundamentally changed by Rose and become more human, well, uh, more human uh, in the sense that they've gained a bit of a conscience um, as a result of traveling with her, but now that he doesn't have her mm. presence anymore, it's what we see in this episode is, um, 
just him trying to deal with these, just basically trying to deal with the emotions that he's been given um, by just exposure to Rose. And, you know, the best uh, scene that kind of capitalizes on this is when we go from a lighthearted romp with a Christmas spider and, you know, a, a ship at the center of the earth to suddenly David Tennant slaughtering millions of, of children. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree. It was something I actually thought about during um, that flashback he has when he sees the couple dancing and he just kind of flashes back to Rose and then like physically kind of like, you know, touches his own face and, and turns away from it to try to like snap him out of the reverie. Um, it's the like, and it's, it's what I was talking about with the unhinged nature. I think that, this doctor, David Tennant's doctor, was faced with the very human emotion of falling in love with a human and then closed himself off from it and in doing so created a lot of the complexes that would go on to inform um, the Waters of Mars moments, if that makes sense. Mm. Like, I think there's a very clear through line between the pain of losing Rose and the uh, quasi kind of like villain of time that he becomes by the end of his run, uh, because he does develop such a, um, a complex about controlling time and life itself because of, I think his experiences with Rose, um, which is very good. It's, it, it's, it's good shit if you ask me. And that's why Donna is such a good match with him because of that exact scene that you were just talking about. You know, he, he gets, uh, one up on the, the Ragnos queen and, um, you know, he starts just straight up murdering, all of her children uh, in, in a very harrowing scene where he's drowning these spider babies that you never see. Fortunately, the show never takes it quite that far. Um, but you know that he's drowning them. You've got the mother uh, crying out about the whole thing while there's explosions going off around her. Donna is just staring at him in complete um, disbelief because this is obviously a side of him that she didn't even know existed. Um all that stuff is really good. And the only reason he stops is because Donna is there to specifically pull him out of, um, this kind of like, uh, very, you know, master staring into the time vortex, uh, kind of moment where he just loses himself completely. He, he gives over into whatever is lurking behind this doctor. Um, and it's just really, it's just really fucking good. It's, Mm. it's, it doesn't feel like the culmination of a Christmas episode at all, but it is a very good moment. It, yeah, I, yeah. I think that moment just goes back to what we were saying before about how this is a bit of a Frankenstein stitch job of, a, of an episode. Um, but you, I think the, yeah, the most effective part of that sequence for me, at least, is uh, seeing Donna, like, you know, drenched in the, in the water, just kind of staring at the utter insanity and carnage that's unfolding around her, like... That that morning she woke up and was just going to get married, and now she's in a secret base under the Thames, watching a Spider Woman grieve for her like ancient children, while the Doctor's just mm. destroying everything around him. And my favorite my favorite line from this whole thing comes at the very end, and it, I think it's like a perfect moment for me because the music is perfect, it's Catherine Tate's in it, um, and the, I really like the line itself, um, where she's talking to him about what she's experienced. Uh, I think he's offered her to travel with him and she says you know that place that we were in that place was flooded and burning and they were dying and you stood there like and then she can't finish the sentence and she goes i don't know Mm. a stranger and the perspective that she has on his life is is so refreshing um in total contrast to rose as we've said before um but it's it's not without uh compassion you know, she's observing all these things and saying, you know, it's it's utterly wrong what you're doing. You know, you scare me to death, I think is what she says. But mm. you, I, I recognize what, you're, what role you play. And if I were a better person, maybe I would come with you. Um, or not a better person, but if I... Uh, if she was ready. If she was ready, know. I would come with you. Um Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. The, I think- the the way that this episode views David Tennant, uh, sorry, views the Doctor at much more of a remove uh, is, I think, the a really good direction. And I I I I know it is going there, but it's there's going to be a lot of bumps on the road. Well, that's the interesting part is that like, you know, if if this had been 
her first story and then we pivot into like, you know, if you do this story, you, then you do a time jump where she's like, yo, I'm not actually ready to go with you. And then the next episode, it's, you know, six months later or a year later, it's the next Christmas and you get the, um, the, uh, uh, what is it? The, the doctor, the, the, fluff, the, f- <laughs> the little fat monsters. Oh, the adipose. The adipose. And then, like, you know, the next episode is the adipose episode, and then we just flow on from there. I think you have a very clear through line of the way that their dynamic highlights this darker path that he's going down in terms of his uh, role in the universe. Um, the problem is that this episode kicks off a, a series of thoughts about criticizing the Doctor as a character. And then we move into Martha's season, which is very explicitly oh the doctor he's fire and ice and i love him like it it goes it it retreats so far back into sucking the doctor's dick um and it never really refines uh its footing in terms of criticizing him until donna comes back again um and that is absolutely something we're going to talk about because martha's run is um it's really tied up in um, a lot of meta stuff about the way they were writing the show, about how Russell T Davies maybe viewed Martha as a functional character. Um, there's just there's so much going on there, and and like CJ said, it it just it bums me out because there's the groundwork laid here for what is going to happen in series four, and um, like the the first couple of episodes of series four as well. Uh, speaking to, you know, Donna being kind of horrified by what she sees of the Doctor, they continue that trend. And so it does feel like they were meant to sort of flow into each other. It's mm. it's odd. Yeah. It's, I, I think I can say with some degree of authority that David Tennant, this is the David Tennant that everyone remembers. This is the David Tennant that uh, I think is better served by the show. Um, and I'm really glad that we're out of the season two version of that character because he was not the leading character that that uh no we are now going to experience and i think that's the best thing about this episode one of the best things about this episode at least yeah it's it's oddly enough it's the perfect introduction for donna and it's the perfect reintroduction for the doctor uh it's Mm. it's very 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 good at doing those things um yeah is there a good villain in this episode I mean, there. <laughs> I okay. I will say the the Ragnos Queen. I think she is actually very, very well written. Um, there's a lot of stuff with her character and her backstory um, that I I think is genuinely quite fascinating. Uh, the problem. Uh, look, I hesitate to call it a problem because I don't want to be mean. Uh, but Sarah Parrish's performance is. She is acting as if she's in a Christmas special, <laughs> um, and I don't think her character is written as if she's in a Christmas special. Uh, and so you get this like kind of dissonance between, um, you know, oh, my children and I'm the last of my kind and there's a lot of contrast between me and the doctor and blah, blah, blah. And then you actually watch her performance and it's just like, mm, my Christmas dinner. And it's like, what is happening here? <laughs> what is happening here on this day? Um, <laughs> yeah, I... Uh as I noted in my synopsis, like it's a brilliant design, but it is visually obvious that it can't move. And yes, you know, I I think we've been utterly cheated out of some top tier sci-fi spider scuttling. Um, Cause that, Oh, you say that, but then you think about like the scuttling that happens in the Lazarus experiment next season. And I didn't want to see that with this spider. (laughs) Well, uh, okay, maybe I'm coming at it with a 2020 perspective with Arachnids in the UK yeah. <laughs> um, and what we can achieve now with visual effects. I don't know. I still um, I still would have liked to have seen her move, for God's sake. Um, anyway, but that's a small niggle. Um, I think that, yeah, mm. I think you're right. I think she's, uh, Sarah Parrish is absolutely playing this as a pantomime villain and that isn't a bad instinct to have but in an episode that's no. already quite choppy in its tones, uh, it's just another, like, what the fuck, <laughs> throwing moment. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's just part of the chaos. Um, and, yeah, like, again, I, I think she's a good character. I think it's a good performance. They just don't belong together. No. I, the one thing I will say, though, and I love that we get a mention of the dark times with this, um, because that's a really cool... 
uh, unmined sort of period of Doctor Who history where, you know, where we, and when I say the dark times, she, the Ragnos as a race are written to come from like before civilized society, basically at the very dawn of the universe. And um, there's like, I think the Time Lords um, are from this era. Um, the great vampires, which I fucking love, <laughs> come from this era. Um, and I just love the unparalleled, like this implicit carnage and blood and war, like primitive uh, version of the universe that has all these like mighty races battling it out. And because I'm a sucker for like ancient aliens and technology, ancient technology and like relics from the past coming back to haunt the future and blah, 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 blah. Um, the the reveal of the Rachnos ship, whilst being gimmicky in the sense that, ooh, it's actually the centre of the earth. Blah, blah, blah. Um, I still like the very basic plot of ancient ship is revived uh, to unleash hell on earth. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. Um, honestly, there's... um. Uh, I was going to say echoes, but actually the other thing would echo this episode. Um, Kill the Moon. There's some stuff here that uh, reminds me of that in terms of um, the ethics and morality of if a planet was only formed as a protective crust for a life form, um, what happens to the life forms on that planet? What happens to the people that are relying on that planet? I mean, granted, this episode does literally nothing with <laughs> that tension. Um, the, the Doctor does not touch on this at all. Um, well, but, there's never... Yeah, I mean... Sorry, there's never any question that the Doctor, like that, that Earth needs to be saved, and the Ragnos can go fuck themselves. At least in Kill the Moon, like there was a proper discussion had about the ethics and of who should live, who should die, which is not a conversation mm. anyone should be having. Anyway, I, sorry, I interrupted you to make a very ill-thought oh, point. No. That's totally fine. It was it was more of like a throwaway observation um, and a way for me to requisitely mention Clara and Peter Capaldi. So it's fine. Yes, we can chalk up. We've mentioned Clara and Peter Capaldi. We can move on now. Once an episode, folks, at the very least. That's my promise to you moving forward into 2021. It's not mine. I do not agree to this. <laughs> we discussed this and I said no. Um, <laughs> look, is there is there anything else that you uh, would like to mention about The Runaway Bride? Uh, look, um, no, I, I, I will say, <laughs> <laughs> I will say this is the first episode of the revival that like properly strikes out on its own with no rose to anchor the series down and anchor the audience as well. And in that respect, it feels thrillingly fresh. Um, mm -hmm. and I do, yeah. I do, I think we both noted that watching this episode just personally for us reinvigorated um, us for watching season three and four and moving on with Doctor Who. And I know that you, James, with your rewatch of, um, Russell T recently, you know, you said that you got excited about watching Doctor Who again. And I don't want oh, this to be a like, let's yeah. shit on series two <laughs> moment. Um, <laughs> but we definitely did get to a bit of malaise with that series. And I think watching yeah. this, we've, we've, um, we found our love again. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, series two definitely had some amazing moments in it. Um, but I think on the whole, it did just, it made both of us a bit tired. Um, and speaking as, as someone who has now gone on to watch the next two series that we, uh, we're going to be reviewing on the show, um, it is thrilling, the stuff that we've got to talk about. There are some highs coming up that are stunning stuff. I mean, obviously there's going to be some lows as well, um, but I I feel, I think both of us kind of echoed the sentiment, but like there is, um, uh, there is like kind of this like reckless, fun, new idea approach that comes across in these next two seasons that the show finally starts to like really flex its muscles a bit. Um, and the two companions we've got coming up uh, in Martha and ag again when we get back to Donna, um, really great stuff as well. There's just so much to talk about and we're both very excited about it. I'm so excited. I, I And I love Donna a lot. I can't wait to talk about her in season four, but fuck me. We're an episode away from talking about Martha and I am so fucking ready. Oh my God. Martha, 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 Martha. Um, look, yeah, look, we'll, we'll leave that one until, until we actually get to come back and talk about Martha in, um, I'm guessing about probably about a month's time because, you know, next week we'll be doing the, um, 
of the Daleks. <laughs> revolution um, of the fucking Daleks. Revolution of the Daleks. Uh, we're going to try and get that one out as quickly as possible after the episode is more of like a, you know, quick turnaround, quick reaction kind of thing. Uh, and then we're probably going to take a couple weeks off, um, you know, just have a bit of a breather, get into the new year. Uh, and then, yeah, we'll be starting off in, uh, I guess, mid to late January with uh, a look at Martha, which is... So exciting. Mm. Um, but before we get to that, we do have to wrap up our conversation of The Runaway Bride because this just ran away from us. <laughs> yeah, when we first, when we were about to record, we were like, this will be a quick one, 45 minutes at the most. And I was like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, okay. Um, but I knew, <laughs> I knew this is going to be. Hello, it's a good episode. There's a lot to discuss. There's, I mean, there's a lot of stuff in here that we haven't even mentioned as well, but like um, a lot of these characters come back in series four and. Not yeah, Lance. We'll, we'll get to them. We'll, not Lance. No. Oh, Lance. Oh, Lance. Anyway, um, what are you going to give The Runaway Bride? I'm going to give it a B. And I think uh, my my heart was saying B minus. Um, but I think I've actually talked myself into liking this a lot more as a result of our discussion. Uh, both. Uh, I love this episode and I would give it an A plus if I could. But critically, I can't. Um, and so, yeah, I think I've solid B. I'm going to put it there. What? Yeah, my uh, my my head is telling me to go with a B minus, but my heart is going with a just a solid B. I think this is a good episode of Doctor Who. Brilliant, amazing, outstanding. Uh, well, I guess that pretty much does it. Um, look, if for any reason you're listening to this on Christmas Day, um. Merry Christmas, happy holidays. We hope you're celebrating whatever it is that you celebrate over this holiday period and having a having a good one. Um, and yeah, I guess that just about does it. Yeah, um, just to echo James's sentiments, um, stay safe, have a great festive period. Um, you know, you can always reach out to us at twoheartspodcast at gmail.com. That's two the word. Um, and in other news, I have been CJ and you can find me at Twitter and Instagram at Theatricalum. Yes, I have been James. You can find me on uh, Twitter at OMGMoreJames. Also on Twitch if you want to watch me fuck around um and our social media accounts as always uh twitter facebook and instagram at two hearts pod the number two uh thank you so much for uh joining us again for another episode of uh two hearts and um yeah we will see you folks next week for a revolution of the daleks Ooh. i don't know why i said it like that <laughs> we'll see you next week Boy.